You're listening to the USCA official podcast, which takes you behind the scenes of eventing, covering all the big events, professional tips and tricks, interviews, special guests, and the latest USCA eventing news. Welcome to the USCA official podcast and listeners, we have got a bit of a different episode for you this time because we have got a very special guest and the tables are going to be turned because I will not be the interviewer, I will be the interviewee. Let me tell you, I'm very nervous, um, but I'm going to introduce you to our very special guest, Ali Penland. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Nicole. It is our absolute pleasure to have you on the show. So just to put this into perspective um, and a little bit of context. So Ali won a competition earlier on this year to interview somebody on the podcast. And she is going to put me through the ringer, listeners. She is going to ask all the burning questions. And hopefully I'm going to come up with the goods and the answering. <laughs> I don't really know what the questions are going to be. So I'm feeling a little bit on edge. Uh, I don't like being out of control in case you hadn't guessed, listeners. But um, Ali, first of all, before we dive into the show, just give us a bit of background on you. Where are you based? Uh, how old are you? What do you do? That kind of thing. Yes. Yeah, so um, my name is Ali Penland. Um, I am going to be a sophomore at the University of Kentucky this year. I'm originally from Virginia. I um, am based in Reddick, Florida with Alex and Ellie O'Neill. I'm a working student for them this summer before I head back up to Kentucky. And I'm studying equine science, of course. And I have evented my pony Twyla up to um, novice, done a little bit of training stuff with her. And we're just taking it day by day. But yeah, that's a little bit about me. Amazing. How is working student life this summer? It's the dream. University, studies, college is on hold, get to enjoy the horses. Yeah. How's it going? Yeah, it's, I I love it. I love not having to do school and horses at the same time as it can get a little complicated with scheduling. But at the same time, I love that I am able to compete and do school at the same time. And I love being a working student. It's awesome. Amazing. Um, okay, should we dive in? So give us a bit of a background on how you've come up with these questions. What are this the kind of thing you're going to be asking me? Um, give me a little insight into what is coming. Yeah, so I actually, um, of course, I googled like, any type of questions I could, like as far as what you've already been asked, because I didn't want to kind of overlap. And like, you know, ask, ask you stuff that you hear all the time, um, which maybe some of these you already have. Um, but I really just wanted to, like, take a different perspective on, obviously, like, you're the one asking all the questions. So this time, you know, you're going to be able to answer a lot of the questions that, you know, you ask people, which is super exciting. And, like, just as far as like where you're from and like who are your biggest role models like growing up and how you feel about the sport and questions like that. I love it. I absolutely love that you are 
thinking a little bit more outside the box. Um, that is my favorite kind of interview. So look, Ali, I'm just going to hand the reins over to you and say, hit me with your first question. What would you like to know? I'm so right, nervous. Awesome. I'm so nervous. <laughs> no, I'm so uncomfortable be being on the other side of the coin. Okay, go for Ali. <laughs> Um, so where are you originally from and what college did you go to? So I grew up in the UK, um, basically in the Midlands of the UK. I actually was born in a, it's a city, uh, but in the countryside, um, near Oxford and in eventing terms, the easiest way to kind of put it on the map, so to speak, is, uh, near Blenheim. Um, as in Blenheim Palace oh, yeah. Horse Trials, which is one that a lot of people know. It would be a four-star level, so oh, yeah. the likes of, of Tryon and, and things like that. It's one of our biggest four-stars over oh, yeah. here in the UK. So I grew up near Blenheim. Um, I didn't actually go – well, I did go to college, I should say, uh, but I actually didn't stick it, believe it or not. Oh, um, yeah. So I loved school, absolutely loved school, loved education, everything like that. Um, but when I went to college or university, as we would quite often refer to it over here, um, I my dad was very, very poorly at the time. And I was probably going to study something that I didn't really want to go and study, but just felt that, you know, everybody feels they should go to college or university don't they because all their friends are and you're pushed into that at school and I was relatively academic and so I went hated it uh, left after four weeks Um, people thought I'd made the biggest mistake of my life Um, and people that I thought were friends turned out not to be friends which was a bit of a life lesson in itself Um, but ultimately best decision I ever ever made that's awesome. Um, so as far as like, what did you do after that? And like, what made you want to go into like sports broadcasting and commentating? So I, so I came home in the, it was the October. And that winter, I rode a few horses for a few people, um, worked fairly locally. My dad, by this point, was really quite unwell. So I was helping look after him. Um, And it wasn't until the following spring that I actually got a different job, which was totally unrelated to horses. At this point, I had no (laughs) idea that I wanted to be a commentator or a broadcaster or a journalist or anything. No idea whatsoever. And so I actually started working in um, rugby. So the Rugby Football Union, which is uh, the sort of the governing body for rugby over here, which would be, I guess, the equivalent of kind of like your American football. Rugby would be a massive sport over here. Yeah. Um, there's probably people throwing their hands up all over the United States right now going, what, you're comparing <laughs> rugby to American football? Um, but it, So I worked in, in rugby and I worked um, sort of locally in kind of the administration side of things. And by pure, and I loved it. Like I loved being based in an office. I did a bit of everything. I did sort of account stuff. I did event organization. I literally had, you know, a bit of everything, um, which was great. And I actually, the the biggest thing that kind of following through to eventing was, and I did 10 years um, in rugby and sort of the eventing was uh, very much alongside it. The podcast started very much when I was, you know, still, still working in the industry as well. Um, But it was, rugby was a volunteer-based sport. 
um, basically the same as eventing. So a lot of the kind of parallels came about from one to the other. So um, I was obviously familiar with eventing, have it, having ridden and evented when I grew up. Um, and so it was quite a similar sort of setup, albeit just a different sport. And it was only by chance, really. I mean, I, I would like to think that I would have found my way to it um, one way or another, that I was talking to somebody that I worked with in the rugby industry and he happened to run a horse trials and said, and I sort of said, you know, I really miss my riding because I'd sold my horse to go to university, which of course hadn't worked out. Um, right. And so I said, I've always wanted to have a go at commentating. Now, in reality, I don't even know where that <laughs> came from because I used to be terrified of public speaking. Um, oh, wow. Give me a microphone and I used to be horrified, whereas now I think it's the best thing ever. So um yeah I don't really know where that love came from but it obviously as I got older and perhaps a little bit more confident it came about and I started I had a go at a very small local horse trials to where I lived and just fell in love literally fell in love with it it was like I had something just came alive within me which sounds so cheesy and cliche <laughs> but I just absolutely loved it and just thought this is something that I really want to do and I wanted to sort of really stay involved in eventing anyway. And that gave me a real platform to be able to do so. But I would never have dreamed, you know, looking back then that I would have got to have gone to some of the biggest events and spoken to and interviewed people that uh, were my heroes and still are my heroes now. Wow, that is, that's really interesting to hear, especially because you were able to find your passion and didn't you know you like college didn't work out for you and like that's okay and you went on and found what you really loved and so when did like your career really start to like hit like some peak points and when you were starting to like get asked to go to these bigger events and interview these like top upper level riders like when when did all that kind of start so I, I suppose that the biggest thing for me is that and I guess this is I'm going to say it's a life lesson for us all listeners but that sounds you know a bit bit boring and a bit stuck up but what I mean is um you know we don't always have to all follow the same path to get to where we're meant to be and to do what we're meant to do in life sometimes we take the odd detour and um somebody once told me there's no there's no wrong turning. It's literally you're just taking a different route to where you're going to get to. And and that I guess that's kind of stuck with me. And I very much um, sort of embraced the fact that, you know, I didn't necessarily at that point know what I wanted to do, but I was very, I, I had a very, very strong work ethic and wasn't afraid to really work hard and kind of figure out, okay, where if I if it wasn't going to work, then at least I know that I would have tried and given all sorts of things my best shot. Um, and so the commentating, I suppose, started to, first of all, as a, as a woman and as a female voice, um, that isn't something that we often hear over PA speakers and loudspeakers and that kind of thing. Um, there's something about the female tone that is a little bit harder to get right, Um uh, I always kind of think a bad male commentator gets away with a lot more simply because the tone of a man's voice 
is more forgiving when it's amplified in that way than the tone of a woman's voice. So we kind of have to work that bit harder to break down doors and to get opportunities. And so there was quite a lot of breaking down doors and getting opportunities to be able to to commentate even at local events over here. And so I worked pretty hard at that. I um, decided that I wanted to learn how to be a cross-country controller. Uh, So essentially the person that is in charge of everything that happens out on the cross-country course. So essentially like air traffic control for cross-country, you know, they're in charge of deploying medics and fence judges and all of those kinds of things. Um, And so that was a real experience of kind of learning under pressure because, you know, when, when things go wrong, you've got to be able to liaise with all of the emergency services. You've got to send them to the fence they need to go to. You've got to be able to stop horses on course. You're dealing with what could be quite, a distressing type like it's it's quite a uh an intense role and I think that taught me a lot as well um but going back to your original question it was probably 2016 so I started commentating I guess around 20 2013 maybe um 2012 2013 and then 2016 would have been a real breakthrough year it was the introduction of the event rider masters series And I had at this point only ever done live event commentary. And so I hadn't done any presenting, hadn't done any hosting or anything like that, just live event commentary, which I loved. Um, But the the Event Rider Master Series was a really exciting kind of innovative series that was based over here um, and across into Europe that really kind of it was held at the four star short level of the sport. And it was all about making the sport exciting being a little bit bold, bringing sponsors on board, you know, kind of adding a real injection of passion and commercialization to our sport, I guess. Um, and so I kind of, cha- I say I chanced it, Ali. I mean, I kind of did. I <laughs> I sent a, a message basically saying, you know, do you, do you need a commentator? Do you know, I'd be really interested. And um I remember it very clearly. It was at the beginning of that season and I was commentating at a couple of events. I knew that there would be people there that were involved in the series that were going to be listening. And it so happened that I kind of started off with a small opportunity. And then that opportunity, as things developed and the series became more established throughout the year, it grew and it grew and it grew. And it got to the point where by leg, I think it was leg four of the series, there had probably been six six or so events in the series that year so by leg four which was at Gatcombe it actually clashed with um the Rio Olympic Games so a lot of the sort of the A team so to speak were over in Rio or and everybody kind of got shuffled around in different jobs and so that was when I was put in the studio as studio anchor as such and kind of had that role of of holding together the commentary and having guests and that kind of thing and and basically being able to tell the story of the competition. And I just, I had no idea what I was doing, literally clueless, uh, but somehow winged my way through and absolutely loved it. And then it grew from there. And I did, um, a few weeks later, I got asked to do, uh, be part of the commentary team for the BBC at Burley, um, which was a massive, massive sort of feather in my cap, so to speak. And it's still one of my absolutely sort of favorite favorite moments that of, of my career so far absolutely felt very special didn't tell anybody because I thought somebody was playing a prank 
and that they were going to kind of turn around and go, no, 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 we're just joking. We don't want you really. Um, so yeah, that 2016 would definitely have been the year that it all changed. And it, and it was the year that I realized that actually it wasn't just a hobby for me anymore. Um, because to that point it had been, it had been very much something that I loved doing and I loved giving back to the sport and I enjoyed it, but actually it was something that I really wanted to pursue. Wow, that is so interesting and really gives not only me, but I feel like a lot of other people in the sport, like hope that like you can go out there and do big things. And as long as you really put your whole heart and work as hard as you can, like you can do anything you put your mind to. And so who are some people that, who are some people that like have, helped you along the way or like some really big connections that you made that really like made Um, a difference I would say so there's two things that I I'm a big believer of in life and I I stand by them and one is work hard you know just work harder than everybody else you know it will get you a long way and and you know what if you fail but you've worked hard it, it just wasn't meant to be it's not because you could have done anything differently. Um, the second thing that I stand by is be nice. Um, because more people could do with being nice in the world, I feel. Um, but do you know 100%. what? Be nice. Because you never know what other people are going through. You never know what, you know, who might, whose path you might cross again in the future, anything like that. Um, and I would say one one person for me that was a massive, massive inspiration and and still very much I would kind of hold in enormously high regard would be uh, somebody called Alice Plunkett, who many of you would perhaps recognise her as Alice Fox Pitt. So she is married to William, has been for many years. They've got four children together, um, has been a huge supporter of his career, obviously. But she is a bit of, I'd like to say, a girl boss. I mean, she has ridden around badminton. She's ridden around the Cheltenham fences at, um, you know, one of the biggest national hunt races, uh, race courses. Um, She has she's just been amazing. And she's now uh, a broadcasting legend, I would say. Um, And she has always been very kind, very generous with her time and knowledge, and really kind of given me, I guess, the confidence of, you know, to say you're doing a good job. And when somebody works hard, and, um, you know, is happy to pass that on, it makes such a difference. And, And from my perspective, you know, now I've got a young family, and she manages to kind of juggle a husband, four kids, four kids. I mean, fair play, um, plus William and, you know, her own career as well. And I just hats off to her. I think she's amazing. Yeah, that's that's great. Yeah, I love how you really say that, like, kindness goes a long way because I 100 percent agree with that. You never know what someone's going through and. Yeah, there and- can always be more of it. I guess the thing to to kind of take from that, and it's something that I've kind of stuck by and, and, you know, no matter what industry you're in, no matter what you do in life, if you're kind of trying to break through or you have interest in a certain area or anything like that, talk to people that you think, you know, have more experience or might know somebody or, you know, you want to ask their advice or because if you're respectful and ask nicely, then, you know, the vast, vast majority of people will bend over backwards to help you. And if they don't bend over backwards to help you, then that's their problem, not yours. Um, And it just isn't meant to be. Yeah, definitely. 
And like, do you have people that will reach out to you? Like, as far as like, look at, I mean, obviously, like you're a big role model in our sport. Like, do you have younger people that you try to help along the way? Yeah, I do. And it's really interesting, actually, because it feels like I was that person and I still am that person to a degree. <laughs> and so it's a real kind of pinch myself moment when people send me messages and, and genuinely ask my advice or my help or anything like that. And I'm like, oh, yeah. And, and I always, always do my absolute utmost to reply and give some really genuine advice and if anybody's listening to this and thinks oh god I'd really like to pick her brains by all means send me a message because I'm very very happy to help um and and it's it's one of those things and it goes back to the to the being kind and the being respectful thing um that 99% of people are so lovely and so genuine and then there's that 1% that ask for help that are just I don't know whether they they don't like the help or they wanted something different from the help I don't know um and there's always that kind of reminder that actually do you know what life is uh, it's a tricky old pathway we lead through life isn't it um so yes be nice but ask ask because people will 100% help you that's great that's awesome um so I'm gonna kind of turn things a little bit um so and ask you more about the sport itself um so who was like or I guess what is like now like who was your biggest role model like rider growing up and then who is your biggest role model role model rider now um so uh, when I was growing up I loved Mary King I mean I absolutely loved Mary King I thought she was amazing I had her book, I had her video, she had like a VHS tape that I used to play, I could recite it, Um, I can even still picture it in my mind what it started, she rode this little pony down by the churchyard, Um, like it is so clear, Mary King, I just absolutely idolised, I always remember, I... So we, I didn't come from an overly horsey background, didn't really have, you know, my mum had a horse, but very much kind of went for the odd hack here and there and uh, grew up on a farm, but didn't really have um, any kind of experience behind us, just parents who were unbelievably willing to kind of, you know, humour their pony mad child who would have literally done anything for the pony, didn't want to go on holiday, didn't want clothes, didn't want anything apart from the pony. Um and so I was very fortunate in that respect. But I, I remember not really knowing anything about eventing. And then Cornbury Park, which would have been a big event over here back in the 90s, was running and it was quite close to where we lived. And I went and Mary King signed a rosette for me. And that was the beginning. I must have been about six. And that was the beginning of my absolute obsession with eventing. Um, so it's all Mary King's fault, basically, listeners. Um, we've only got her to blame, but I just loved it. And so Mary King was very much one that, and I've actually, and, and she was one of the people that I basically pinched myself interviewing. And I have interviewed her a few times since, but there, the first occasion, I was so chilled and so like, right, best behavior, you know, be really, really good, 
be very professional, all the rest of it. And we got to the end of the interview and I've been so sensible and it was really interesting show, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and I got to the end and I was like, it sort of word vomited out of me. Oh, Mary King. So I met you when I was six. You signed a rosette for me and I love you. And you're the reason that I love eventing. And it just came out and she was like, so kind. But I thought, God, they weren't playing it cool, didn't it? It was just all over in a heartbeat. Anyway, um, she was she was so sweet about it and very, very much would have been kind of the early influence. I guess now there's there's a real mix. I love the likes of, um, you know, Pippa Funnel has been sort of an enormous inspiration across so many people's, um, you know, kind of love of eventing. Um, Janelle Price now very much kind of that sort of, and she didn't come from a horsey background at all over in New Zealand, but you know, moved her entire life over to the UK, um, you know, started from scratch and now sort of manages to do it while juggling a family and everything else. I, I think I have a massive amount of respect in, in that that way. So it, there's there's plenty of them. We're, we're very fortunate in our sport. And I guess all sports are the same, but in eventing, you don't really have to look very far for people who have really incredible stories. Um, and sometimes there's one that that sort of resonates with you and you kind of think that's very, very cool. Um, so, yes, I would probably say the likes of the mums, the mums who event at top level, they're <laughs> the ones that inspire me now. Because I think if you can do that and multitask and still manage to compete um, in what is, you know, a really tough sport, then fair play. Yeah, yeah, definitely. That's amazing. Yeah. And our sport, we're so lucky, you know, whereas like, with the NFL and like NBA, you know, you can't like growing up, you know, you can't play alongside, you know, like LeBron James or, you know, whoever, whereas like in our sport, like you can be going out in an event and then see Philip Dutton and Boyd Martin and, you know, all these crazy, like awesome upper level people just, you know, doing their everyday job, which is so cool. And there's like a lot of them are, you know, very open to talking and helping out younger riders and it's it's just a very unique and awesome part about our sport you've hit the nail on the head there and you know it's something about eventing that is special that there is almost that feeling of us against the course um you know because it is a uh, that sort of level of risk that's attached to it you know you go to the likes of Kentucky and Maryland and the riders will all talk among themselves and ask each other's advice. And for the most part, everybody gives really genuine, honest, open advice. And and that isn't something you're not going to go and, you know, see, I'm trying to think of an American football team, but I'm coming up blank. <laughs> My Englishness is catching me out here. Um, but you're not going to go and find. Sure, I understand. Yeah. And now my watch is shouting at me. Um, oh, no. My watch doesn't understand what I'm trying to say either. But you wouldn't necessarily <laughs> go and see, you know, one American football team going to another American football team and asking how they would beat somebody else or asking what their tactics are in this respect, because it just doesn't work like that. Um, whereas in eventing, you would get people going to Boyd Martin and saying, how would you ride into the head of the lake at Kentucky? Um, and that's something very special. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, 100%. And really just makes our sport so unique and is why all of us love it so much. All right. So my next question, um, what is your favorite event to go to? 
Oh, favorite event. Um, I have lots of favorites. I'm really bad. I'd love, I love <laughs> lots for lots of different reasons. I love badminton because it's the spring and there's lots of championship hopes alive and it's got that kind of real crispness in the air. Um, I love the likes of Burley because it's quite close to me. And I would actually say Burley probably is the one that is the most special because it kind of holds the the kind of the career moment um, of, you know, commentating alongside the absolute legend that was Mike Tucker, who was basically the voice of equestrian sport over here in the UK for, for so many years. And I'm sure um, plenty of plenty of our listeners will have heard of him and, and his impact on the sport. Um, I love Chatsworth, which if you guys, if you're ever over in the UK and you happen to be around, even if the event isn't on, go to Chatsworth. It's the most beautiful place. And we're fortunate enough to have horse trials there. Um, I've got plenty. I'd probably say Burley, Burley for the sport and for the kind of the career moments. Chatsworth for the just the absolute pinch myself. We're allowed to ride horses around this incredible park and just enjoy what is something that I think in our sport is pretty special. Yeah, those both sound like absolutely beautiful places. If I'm ever over there, I will make sure to go to both of them. Of the US events, so my US events have been much more limited, um, but I would say Carolina is one that I absolutely love. Um, yeah, And Carolina's nothing beautiful. is ever too much trouble in Carolina. You know, everybody is just striving to make the event as good as it can possibly be um so friendly so kind and so yes I'd, I'd probably say Carolina over with you guys awesome so if you could ride any horse like past present or even future like a young and up-and-coming horse um like who would it be am I a good rider in this hypothetical situation yes very good okay. Perfect. Um, because I'll be honest, I probably wouldn't be able to ride one side of, you know, the, you know, the absolutely <laughs> brilliant ones. I wouldn't be able to run, ride one side of them. But if it's a hypothetical, well, it is a hypothetical situation, then I can be basically Pippa Funnel's long lost cousin. Um, yes, definitely. I would say I absolutely love a horse called Toledo de Cursa of Tom McEwens, uh, which was part of the British team that won team gold in Tokyo last year. He is just unbelievably class in particularly in the jumping phases. Um, he could have been a pure show jumper, I think. And his cross country, if there was a six star, he'd probably find that too easy. He's just a machine, <laughs> an absolute machine. Um, but if you were to say, you know, I could get on an event horse and be a really good rider and I could go and have a spin, particularly in the first phase, I'd have to say Tammy Smith's my bomb because he's yeah. just stunning and has this real X factor. You know, some horses just have this look at me. They know they're good and he has it in spades. Um, so yes, Tammy Smith and my bomb. I spent the whole sort of two, three weeks building up to badminton, telling everybody that was in the vicinity of me that there was this American horse that they absolutely just had to go and look at. Um because he just needs to be seen to be believed. So yes, sorry, Tammy, but I'm coming after Lexus. Those are like two great choices. Yeah, Malbom is definitely one of my favorites as well. He's just absolutely beautiful. He is. And, he really is. and so for um, my next question, um, 
where do you see like the future of our sport um like going and what do you think like people can do to help create a sustainable future for eventing I love this question um and I think it's a really interesting one so I think you know where is our sport at now I personally would say it's at a bit of a crossroads um for me the commercialization of the sport is getting less and that is a worrying place because it's such a um you know it's an expensive sport it's a even just the infrastructure of the sport is expensive um you know you don't need just one running track that people can go and run around and you know once it's there it's there you don't need one swimming pool that people can go and you know just swim in a pool there is so much more to it um and and so I think I I would be worried and and you know concerned in that respect that we need to keep driving our sport forwards to make it appeal to the wider audience. We have so much to engage people with. You know, even if you don't understand eventing, you should be able to sort of be captivated by the sport and understand it and kind of become invested in it. Um, you know, we don't want to just say we want to appeal to people who who love eventing. It's got to be bigger than that. It's got to be wider than that. It wants to be more mainstream than that. And so I think for me, the commercialization of the sport is really key at this time. And I think it's a real crossroads. You know, where we've got the eventing safe in the Olympics until 2028. Um, but we need to make sure that we kind of keep driving the sport in in kind of I would say the right direction. What I mean by that, because the right direction is very much subjective. And, you know, there's a real big debate about should we be in the Olympics or are we better off out of the Olympics or anything like that? Personally, in my mind, I think the Olympics is the world stage and we're better in it than out of it, because once we come out of it, we're not going back in. Um, And so I think for me, kind of, the commercialization, the driving the sport forwards. We can't be afraid of change because we have we have to change, we have to adapt, we have to evolve. That doesn't mean we lose the sport that we love. Um, but if we don't change, if we don't sort of evolve, then we'll probably lose it anyway because at, at some point it will just become too too expensive and it will become smaller and smaller. Um, and, you know, there's a whole different conversation around the safety of the sport and I think it's something that we all feel very very passionately about in terms of making the sport as safe as it can be and the strides that have been made there over the last even just the last 10 years have just been absolutely incredible um you know frangible pins mim clips haven't been around for all that long and there's so much more research now than we've ever had before in terms of how horses see fences what they understand and and so designers are able to work with that um, and so, you know, we have to to make the sport safer. Um, and it, you know, very much is in the spotlight of being a safe sport. And certainly it's something that has been discussed quite a lot over here on British soil over the last few months in terms of um, sort of the minimum eligibility requirements and kind of the steps up the levels. Um, and for me, like you want it to you want cross country to all to play a part because if it doesn't play a part and everybody 
you know, canters around and jumps knockdownable fences, then we may as well just be show jumping. Um, yeah. So if we're keeping, if we're keeping eventing, we've got to keep cross country as its core, and we want that to be as safe as possible. Um, but we really need to kind of capture the imagination. Um, we can't be afraid of change. We can't be afraid of trying things that are a bit different. And it never fails to amaze me, even just looking at, at the Event Rider Master Series as an example. Um, you know, it, it didn't get the big commercial sponsors that it needed to be able to run, but the amount of money and the amount of funding that went into trying to drive the sport forward. And I'm not even saying that that was perfect because it, it wasn't, and there was definitely room for improvement. But if something like that, with that much investment, innovation, and, and drive behind it doesn't take off in our sport, then it worries me as to whatever will, because there's only so much you can do. Um, and I think in terms of what can the eventing community do, I think it's pulled together. I think we can't be afraid of change. Um, that doesn't mean that we're going to agree with everything that everybody suggests. And there might be things that we're not keen on. Um, and we should absolutely hold our hands up and say, that isn't for me. And I feel the sport would not work and it wouldn't benefit for it from it in this way. And how about we do something like this? But ultimately, we have to be a community. And something that I've seen on social media a lot over the last, I mean, its I've seen it this year, but even going back over the last couple of years, it feels like it's become a very, very black and white place where you can't have a, a debate, you can't have a healthy discussion or constructive discussion about the right or the wrong or the opinion of, of something. It is very much, you're right, you're wrong. And the way I look at it, if we can't all love our sport, how the hell do we expect other people to love our sport? Um, so even if you don't agree with something, even if you'd like to see it done differently, go about it the right way, pull together, because we have to all pull together to drive the sport forwards and to protect it in the future. So yeah, that would be that would be my my take on it. I think it's a it's gonna be a changing time over the, the next few years. Yeah, yeah, you did a amazing job answering that. I couldn't have said it better myself. And as far as like in Europe, like how do they differ as far as like running events or like commercializing things compared to the United States or even other countries? Like, are they like, obviously like they are further along in like certain riding aspects, but how, how do they differ from the U S? Um, I think it, it's a difficult one because there's so many sort of geographical challenges and, and everything like that. Um, you know, over in the U S you can, you would drive, way further to get to a even just a one day event you know if people drove that far over here would everybody would be horrified and would be sort of holding their hands up going oh my god I drove for 12 hours whereas now if they do that <laughs> that's you know very much a one-off whereas for you guys it's totally normal so geographically I, I suppose in the UK in particular we're very fortunate in that respect um, I mean to put it into context you can get from one end of the country, so say the very, very bottom of England, Cornwall direction, all the way up to Blair Castle, which would be in the middle of Scotland, which would be our sort of big, most northern event. Um, and it would take you less than 12 hours, you know, and that would be considered wow. a really long trip on UK soil. There's obviously, it's a lot more straightforward to to head over into 
Europe and to go um, either over to Ireland, um, which is just a short ferry ride away, or you could go over to, to France and, you know, drive. There's plenty of very, very good French events, but you've got a very, very good eventing system in Germany, in Poland, um, Italy. You know, there's a real network. And and then, you know, the distances do start to get a bit bigger and everything. I think, you know, to take it down a political route, um, Brexit came in um, over, God, a year or so ago, which is, feels like it's been sort of masked because of COVID, because obviously there's been so many travel restrictions anyway that people perhaps haven't travelled as much. But to now, very simply put, to now travel a horse into Europe from the UK, um, even over to, to Ireland to a degree, you know, it is a lot more expensive and there's a lot more paperwork involved. So that puts people off making the trip and it puts people off coming over to, to Britain from, you know, France and Germany and the like. So it's again a bit of a period of change there, I guess. Um, and I, I suppose the the one thing that that we we are fort- very fortunate to have is that we we get a, a lot of riders based over here in the UK that you know are the best in the world for New Zealand, for example, for Australia. Um, we're very fortunate to to have a couple of your very very good US riders over here at the moment as well, actually, which yeah. I'm thoroughly enjoying. Um, yeah, I bet. But, you know, you get to to sort of go up against other countries on a weekly basis. And so that very much becomes part of your training regime and part of your training program. Well, obviously, for you guys, it's much, much harder for that to happen because you're relying on either people coming over for big events or you going and over to other countries. And let's be honest, that's an enormous cost exercise and isn't possible for everyone. So it's different. Um but likewise, you know, you have some amazing, amazing events, some incredible course designers, some incredible officials. And a lot of the facilities with you guys are exceptional as well. You know, we don't have nearly as many surfaces or anything like that over here as I think you would probably have to a degree with you guys. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's great. I didn't even think about like geographically, like how you guys are and you guys are a lot closer obviously than us going to another country Mm. and definitely financially it's so incredibly expensive you know just even going to the grocery store it's you know a lot more expensive than it was six months everything's going up in price everything's going up in price the fuel in the gas in your car is just increasing all the time yes everything is just insane and like definitely like getting other people involved in our sport like you know it doesn't you know not just eventers like can love eventing like everyone can love eventing especially like you know we have so many amazing riders so many amazing events and like commercializing it and taking that to the next level how do you think like the USEA can really try to grow in that aspect as far as like hiring like a specific job for that or like getting more people involved in that aspect um I think it's an interesting one and and speaking you know for in in my own personal opinion I think it's one whereby from from the USDA's perspective ultimately you know you want to have a platform 
that offers, you know, the best possible experience for riders, you know, whatever level they are at, whatever background they come from, whatever sort of their aims may be, maybe they want to go to five star, maybe they're quite happy aiming for a beginner novice, you know, regardless of that spectrum, it's being able to give everybody that platform to be able to love and enjoy our sport. Um, And I think the commercial aspect comes sort of a different layer as such, because obviously the two do go hand in hand. You know, you want to give everybody the best possible opportunity to to love eventing and to have um, the chance of competing at all these brilliant venues and and that kind of thing. And I think you need obviously money to be able to do that. Um, So I think from from the marketing perspective, it's very much about, you know, how incredible our sport is and the opportunities that it can give um and we have some you know really really fun sort of series with you know looking at diversity the classic series being able to offer something for lots and lots of different people I think is key because you know yes you want to have a great setup that allows the professional riders to be able to go and qualify all of their five-star horses, all of their, you know, upper-level horses, all the horses that are going to be their future upper-level horses. Um, But ultimately, you know, our sport won't survive on professional riders going up to the top level. You know, the the foundation of the pyramid are the grassroots riders, the amateurs, and the people who, you know, really give their all to be able to compete. And I think that is a really unique selling point in itself. As you said earlier, you know, how often could you or I go and compete in the same section as Philip Dutton. Um, you know, how often could we go and stand in the queue for a, a burger or something with Boyd Martin? As if Boyd Martin had eaten a burger. I mean, he's he's going for a healthy salad because he is a true athlete. Um, but you know what I mean? You know, there's a really unique aspect from that. And I think actually we can always strive to be better. And I'm sure the USDA would would say the same. You know, we can all strive to be better and everybody wants to be better. Um, it's an interesting one that we're going to be in a very, very changing economic climate over the next few years. We've had a really, really tough couple of years in terms of coronavirus and the the challenges that that has brought the tourism industry, the travel restrictions, you know, people's jobs have changed, people's life kind of ambitions and and the way they want to live their lives has changed it's been a bit of a wake-up call for everybody so I think the economy is going to change over the next couple of years and it's going to be a tough time um certainly we're already seeing the effects of that over here in the UK have your gas prices gone through the roof um yes they actually like here in Florida they got a little bit better um but like when I first moved down here it was insane like crazy crazy and they just like kept going up kept going up kept going up and then they kind of plateaued and then went down a little bit and I don't know we'll see what happens these next couple yeah. months. yeah so even just something as simple as that you know has such a knock-on effect to the whole industry organizers it costs them way more money to have their contractors in to set up the marquee because they're passing on their fuel costs you know all of those things have that knock-on effect and so I think the sport is, it's everything is going to become more expensive. Um, and, you know, sponsors and the commercialization side of things that we talked about a bit earlier, maybe that is going to become harder to, to come by. Um, so I think we've got to 
drive the sport forwards. Um, I think we've got to look for new opportunities, but ultimately at the heart of it, we, we need to be able to have an experience that everybody can thoroughly enjoy, respect and utilise wherever they are and whatever level they're at. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And as far as like the USCA's like um, young rider program, what do they have in Europe that is like or like in the UK that's similar to that? So we have and I guess this is where you come back to um, again geography you know it's such a vast spread across the US in terms of you could have really really talented young riders over on the west coast and you want to give them as many opportunities as those on the east coast um, but likewise and, and all of those in the middle I should say as well but likewise it's much harder to go and compete against other people Um so we have over in, in the UK, we have the, the European Championships. Um, so every year there would be a Pony Junior and Young Rider European Championships. So Ponies is under 14s, roughly speaking. Um, the Juniors are 14 to 16. And then, no, 14 to 17 maybe. And then the Young Riders are 18 to 21. Um, yeah, so... Ponies are 14 to 16, juniors are 17 and 18, and then 19, 20, and 21 are the young riders. So you, you get you get the kind of gist of it. Um, but essentially, they have European championships every year, and they rotate around Europe as such. So they might have a Pony European Championships out in Poland, and all of the, the European countries that want to and are qualified to would send a Pony team to go and compete. Um, you would have... Uh, like the Young Rider and Junior European Championships this year are being held at the same venue actually over here in Britain at Hartbury College which would be one of our sort of big events that we have in the summer Um, and they're hosting the European Championships as well and they would very much get the opportunity to go up against the likes of Germany, of France, of Ireland, you know all of the other big nations that you would be very familiar with and so they get a real and and that is a real platform for them to get that experience to get the championship opportunities um, from a very young age Uh, and and it also you know you would talk to a number of our top top riders the likes of William Fox Pitt the likes of Pippa Funnel, Kitty King, Gemma Tattersall, Laura Collett, Tom McEwen you know all of those riders have come through those kind of systems and they, they were instrumental in giving them the bug to sort of carry on competing and, and give them that real opportunity to kind of say, this is what it this is what it could be like, at, you know, in the future. Um, and so I think from that side of things, it has a massive, massive impact. There's there's other sort of lesser and by lesser, I mean, more open programs within each of the different nations. So. The British would have a young rider program that that people can apply for that are under 21, that they could go to like an under 21 national championships and things like that, that all basically build towards the Europeans. And they have some specific, some age specific classes at different events and that kind of thing. Um, I'd say it's a pretty good structure, to be honest. We're very fortunate with it um, because it, it definitely is a real platform in which for riders to kind of move up through the levels. I, I guess the the biggest challenge for you guys over in the US is very much that it, it's very difficult 
from an expense perspective, from a um, logistical perspective, to be able to recreate something similar. And I think the way in which, you know, Leslie Law and his team and a, a lot of people, you know, he works a lot with the developing riders and they work very, very hard to kind of assess the different riders coming up through different areas and have talent spotting and all of those things, I think are really, really key to be able to um, kind of spot future talent and be able to nurture it as well. Um, And I I think it's something that, you know, it doesn't mean that one way is the right way. They're just slightly different and the different challenges around it. Um, So yes, bit different, but that, that would be kind of how the, the British system would be set up. That's super interesting. I did not realize that it was like the similarities and differences. Like it was, that's really interesting. And do they have um, like grants or scholarships as well? Like that help some of the younger riders? Some, I would say we probably have less than you guys do. There's a few maybe, and there's certainly a British, um, system that that's come in uh, over the last uh, or it's just sort of launched this year called the Howden Way which is looking to have like a talent academy and that kind of thing um but very much there aren't many there aren't many scholarships or grants or anything of, of that kind of note to come about and I would say and I, you know I guess it depends um how you guys find it as well but we certainly see a lot of our riders when they come out of young riders they've been quite protected in the sort of the ponies juniors young riders might have had a good deal of success and all of a sudden they're over 21 they're out in the big bad but big bad wide world and it's a very very different kettle of fish very competitive you know they've got a business to run and living to earn and all of those things and it's tough really tough and there'd be plenty of riders that would echo that as well yes yeah definitely and I think we see that a lot over here as well as you know they have you know awesome horses or you know maybe they've brought up their own horse and they've done young riders and then all of a sudden their horse goes lame and they're they don't have the money to get another one and you know then they end up having to stop the sport or go to college and money definitely is a very big fundamental that helps all of us. Um, as well as, you know, having parents that support us, you know, financially and, you know, just like driving out to see us and help us out at events and having a good team to like support you is really big. And I think, like maybe part of the young rider program is like showing how to, I mean, I, I've never done it, so I have no idea if this is like, you know, part of it or not, but you know, how to run a successful business and how to create a team behind you and how to get owners and run a successful business. You actually, you've hit, you've hit the nail on the head completely. And I, you guys have an expression that I absolutely love that, you know, it takes a village. It absolutely does because you just can't get there on your own. Um, And when I said, you know, there weren't many sort of scholarships or grants available, I forgot one fairly important one to be fair, which is something that was only introduced a few years ago. um, And it's called the Wesco Equestrian Foundation, which 
Uh, a lot of people might have heard of it under the Windrush Equestrian Foundation. The name changed um, a year or so ago. And essentially, it was uh, the brainchild of a lady called Christina Knudsen, who loved eventing, uh, owned Tim Price's Wesco, um, mm-hmm. who was, has been on the podium at Kentucky and won yeah. the Moulin and, and that kind of thing. Um, and basically, when she passed away, she left... Um, a, a trust that was set up to basically help riders with that exact thing so being able to run a business to know how to do their accounts to know how to keep themselves in shape to be able to talk to owners all of those kinds of things wasn't necessarily the riding that is a big part of it but it's about the kind of the intricacies that be a, that are able to kind of show them that so there are there are a few different things about um and I know that there's something with the Howden Way that might develop over the next few years, but it's, it, I would probably say the minority of riders, you know, younger riders coming through, it wouldn't be the majority by any means. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And like, do you feel that like with you guys, like how, like, do you think that they're more prepared going out in the big wide world than our Young Rider program here in the United States where, like, I mean, everyone's different, but, like, how would how would that kind of... Um, I, are we ever, are we ever yeah. ready to go out into the big <laughs> bad wide world? I'm 32 and I'm still not ready. Uh, and yet I'm here. Um I don't know. I think it very much depends on on the people. I think it depends on their kind of um, their to to a degree their village. You know what support have they got that's be able to kind of actually give them a bit of a reality about what what's coming up. Um, I think we could all say that you know when we start to grow up, regardless of how prepared we think we are, and we get a, a house and a mortgage and we've got to run our own car and you know we've got to work out our insurance and then maybe they've got a yard and they have to pay their staff's wages and all of those things I think even though we we might understand it's coming I don't think anything ever prepares you for it actually coming um and to a degree it's how you adapt to it and how quickly you can adjust and kind of run with it um because I'd imagine it's a bit of a shock to anybody's system to a degree um so I, I don't know whether how different that would be over here to, to over with you guys. I think it is possible to to run, and it's something that I spoke to, um, I think it was Boyd Martin, actually, about on one of the episodes of the Echo Ratings Eventing podcast, a When Nicole Met show from last year. And he said, you know, he chose to come to America because he felt he could make a very good living. Um, yeah. And I would actually say that that probably would certainly it was something he felt but that good living available over in the US might be harder to come by over here in the UK um and I'd also say that it's very very competitive in a very small group you know there's a lot of riders competing for the same you know competing for the same owners as such like they're all looking to get um horses in the same sort of area it's a very very small pool and lots and lots of fish in it whereas over in the US maybe things are a little bit more spread out and maybe therefore different opportunities become a little bit um sort of more fruitful in that respect so I don't know I think there's there's probably as we you know we come back the pros and the cons to both aren't there um the positives and the negatives 
Oh, yes. Yes, definitely. And did you ever, like, want to be a professional growing up? Was that, like, one of your dreams? Ten-year-old me would have probably said, absolutely, I'm going to go to the Olympics. Ten-year-old me would have probably thought so. In reality, um, I I loved it, and I love horses, and I love that whole aspect of it. I love competing, everything like that. I don't think I was ever good enough. I don't think I'd have ever been hardy enough. Um, I, yeah, loved it. Would be much better at talking about it than I am actually doing it. And I, I look back now and I think if I knew then what I knew now, because I was very much finding my own way and we were kind of muddling through as best as we could. And we didn't really have that village to kind of say, right, do this, don't do that. This is a great idea. What the hell did you do that for? Um, so we just kind of, you know, made it up as we went along, which, you know, it worked all right and I was okay. Um, but I was never going to be a professional. I don't think I I have a, an urge now in my later years, um, you know, give me 10, 15 years or so, and I will pop up, uh, at an event somewhere and I'll have some sort of midlife resurgence and I'll be back. Um, and I do keep threatening. I love the AECs and I do yeah it would be amazing yeah. it would be amazing to think that I think oh I could you know find a horse somewhere come and qualify just maybe because it just sounds the most fun and the best event so you never yeah. know one day listeners one day there'll be some crazy British girl that breaks <laughs> on through yeah it, I mean considering there have been crazier things that happen I think you can definitely exactly I mean I did consider um kind of dressing up as some sort of college student pretending I was a member of the team for the intercollegiate championship <laughs> I mean yeah um, you should I mean I could have been the mascot you could have just put me in the mascot's outfit and I would have been very happy so oh, yeah. you know there's still time it would have been great we've been looking for someone to be our um our cat for I could be your UK cat eventing. yeah it would I be could great. be your cat exactly yeah it was the intercollegiate championships are so much fun. It was my first time going this year and by far like the most fun and the nicest group of people. It's something so special. And actually, I don't think we it certainly doesn't feel like we had or have anything quite like it. There's the UK student riders and, you know, there are things, but nothing quite as imaginative and crazy as the intercollegiate championships. Um certainly just looks like the most fun so yeah hook me up next year I'll come and be your cat yeah definitely that'll be great um so one more question my last one um what has been your favorite USCA podcast that you have done oh oh that's a tough one we have done um so I have been hosting the USCA show now for are we in our second year or our third year? Goodness me, I'm going to have to double check. I'll double check, listeners. Okay. Because Sounds while good. I am while I am kind of thinking to myself, what would be my favourite episode? We've done some really fun ones. I would say um, hearing about the intercollegiate champs the first year that I I didn't I knew a bit about it, didn't know a huge amount about it. I was literally blown away. My mind was completely taken over by just how amazing um it was and so I would definitely say 
Um, I loved that one. I always love the ones whereby there's myself, um, Max Corker and Rob Burke. Yeah, yeah. And Dermot Byrne as well. Like we always have a really good sort of chin wag as to what is coming <laughs> up. Um, and that's all very fun. I think possibly we've had some great Ask the Experts, um, which is always fun, like being able to basically quiz them on absolutely anything. And we did the build up to Tokyo with the team talk shows, which were very cool. That was like a real insight into what it was like to be able to like kind of build up to the Olympic Games. That was very fun. Um, But I would say, and I'm going back to it, we're in a, so we've been doing it two and a half years, unbelievably. Um, wow. So it was the start of 2020 uh, that I started hosting it. I'm actually going to say uh, the first Valentine's quiz that we did, um, which came about, I think it was, well, it was February 2021. I'm going to check who was it. It was Dom and Jimmy Schramm. Oh, yeah. And it, and it was... Um, the uh, Tick and Sinead Maynard um, oh, and wow. it, it was just so much fun like yeah. proper kind of Valentine's it was just brilliant absolutely loved it um how well did they know each other a bit of a venting kind of trivia thrown in there as well um there were no domestics everybody was still talking by the end of it it was just brilliant <laughs> um so yes I would say and listeners here you go I'll point you back to it it was the Valentine special from 2021 um and it's definitely worth it's one of those shows that actually you can go back and enjoy um and it's interesting actually because a lot of our shows would be um quite a lot that you could that they're timeless as such yes there's some of the the big preview shows and everything like that but there's a lot so if you ever kind of think oh do you know what I really could do with picking up a few more marks in my dressage or I don't know how to walk my cross country google it and and look through all the back catalogue because there's all sorts in there Um, we've done a real variety so yes very very lucky get a front row seat to be able to quiz some very cool people yes definitely um I tell you what, Ali, you could be taking my job before too long because that <laughs> was excellent. I So I have obviously interviewed a lot of different people, but I've been interviewed a good fair bit as well. Um, yeah. And you had some absolutely cracking questions in there that I think plenty of seasoned professionals could do well to listen to. Um, so thank you very much for putting me on the spot. Awesome. Yes, of course. Thank you so much for taking the time to answer all my questions. It has been my absolute pleasure. Um, Quite awkward talking about myself, but once I get into it, I just keep talking. So listeners, hope I haven't bored you all silly. Um, Ali, thank you so much. It has been lovely to have you on the show and it has been very nice to be on the other side of the table. Yes, thank you so much. Uh, And listeners, thank you guys as always. We have got lots coming up for you we have got another hall of fame show coming very soon and actually the countdown is on to those american eventing championships at the end of august because only a few short weeks away so we will be building up to those as well so do stay tuned Uh, but for now that's all we've got time for thank you guys very much for listening but the biggest thanks has to go to ali for doing an amazing amazing job ali thank you it has been brilliant thank you so much for this opportunity
Thanks for listening to the USCA official podcast. If you have any suggestions or feedback, then we would love to hear from you. Get in touch through any of our social media platforms at US Eventing. And don't forget to subscribe on your preferred podcast platform to make sure you don't miss an episode.